Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. How do we make sure that we're um, both being authentic, aspirational is, I think, a part of this without being, while still being relevant, right? It's a hard time to think about being aspirational right now. Um, And um, I do think the right kinds of brand partnerships can allow you to be authentically aspirational, even if the aspiration is, for example, getting outside for five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day to just breathe. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny Rooney. I am back with you for another episode of Marketing Vanguard by Adweek. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. And um, joining me is my guest, Christine Evans. Christine is the president of Headspace. And I'm so thrilled to have you, Christine. We're going to have a great conversation over the next several minutes. And, And really, the whole goal here is to get to know you and a little bit about your marketing leadership style, your history, your education, the experience you bring to bear in your role, and um, also just level set for us where Headspace is in its journey as well. So Christine, welcome. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to see you again. I was just actually um, sharing with Jordan, uh, my colleague at at Adweek, that you joined us at the Prescription for Growth Summit that we had last year in New York, um, which was really all about healthcare, pharmaceutical, um, health and wellness marketing, right? Like, it's just such an incredible space. Um, Not, no pun intended. (laughs) Um, But, you know, listen, health and wellness is one of the areas of growth um, in our world for obvious reason. It's just so relevant for so many, um, different reasons. Um, you know, especially on the other side of the pandemic and and the way the world continues to change through technology. And I think at Headspace, you're really, really in the thick of it. So, um, before we kind of get into it, can you just tell us a little bit about, um, Let's start with just you first. You know, tell us a little bit about you. You're president, but you came up through the CMO role, which I think is very, very interesting there. Um, so yeah, give us a snapshot, please, of of you. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I've been um, serving in the president role here at Headspace for just over a quarter. So you're catching me at a time that this is a brand new role. Um, for me, it's actually a brand new role for the organization. Um, and it's been really exciting, you know, certainly I think within the, the world that we're operating in right now, where what we have to offer is in huge demand. Um, it's incredible to be a part of a mission oriented company that has something to offer that matters to people um, quite a bit. So my role in particular really is focused on everything that we do from a go to market perspective, whether it's getting in front of consumers and making sure that they understand what we can do for them um, all the way to the investments that companies, right, employers, as well as health plans make in terms of getting their members or their employees the mental health support that they need. Um, And so that gamut is a really interesting and fascinating business challenge, I think, to be able to go after. You can imagine how those um, can, to some degree, as a marketer, maybe feel at odds with one another, but in reality, I think are very much a creative to one another in terms of really how we get people on board with um, recognizing that sometimes that they need help and getting them the resources that they need. Um, mm-hmm. So this role, you know, this is in um, the the sort of life of the the company, which came together 
um, through a merger of two companies called Ginger and Headspace about two years ago at this point. Um, I've been with the collective company about five and a half years, and it's been incredible, right, to see certainly from a marketer's perspective how um, globally the uh, people's points of view on mental health, what it means to them, how willing they are to do something about it, how willing they are to talk about it, have changed so dramatically right, in those five and a half years to, I I think back, you know, I think it was April 2018 that I took the role. You weren't even seeing your doctor uh, through a telehealth appointment. That just wasn't really a thing (laughs) that people were doing very regularly. And then, you know, we had this sort of global moment and pandemic and set of circumstances that really put that into action. And, And here we are today in a way that you know, I don't think any of us maybe could have predicted, but certainly I think we're happy to be here and to be helpful in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But Christine, what's really interesting about you, though, is I'm looking back in your your career journey. I mean, you have been a health focused companies for basically your entire career. So yeah. there's there there. And yet you have I think it looks like you went to Cornell for for a degree in textiles yeah. um, and apparel and you got an MBA from Kellogg. And yet here you are at Headspace as president. But there were a lot of roles leading up to this place that you find yourself in right now. They were all centered on health. So what yeah. is the fascination, the interest, the passion for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's yeah, it's been about a little over 15 years that I've been in the health and wellness space. Um, as you noted, uh, I am actually trained in the area of textile. So my first six years out of college, I was a sweater designer for a lot of the specialty and department store brands here within the U.S., Uh, Just an incredible experience to be able to create, to be able to see the impact of what you're creating. Um, I have a love of fashion. I have a love of, you know, creativity in that way, shape, or form. And, you know, um, clearly not a a pretty non-linear transition (laughs) to where I am today. Uh, And it really comes down to both um, what I would call sort of the alchemy of bringing things together um, that I felt really passionately about during my time. So if you think about you know, you know, designing a jacket, right? It's like a different silhouette. It's a different color. It's maybe a new make of fabric. It's the finishes that are on it. And there are infinite ways in which you can bring that together. And maybe to some degree, only a few ways that are going to be really interesting for a consumer at that point in time. And being able to put yourself in someone's shoes and think about what they think about when they make that choice, when they walk into a store, when mm-hmm. they open up their closet uh, doors in the morning and, and think about what they're going to wear. Um, there's something that I think is uh, really interesting and inviting about that um, as it relates to sort of applying that thought process into something like healthcare, which ultimately is a very emotional decision, right? It's it's mm. it's your health. And well, it's very personal. Go. I mean, whether personal. the things you wear and the things, you know, and the healthcare and the how you take care of yourself. I mean, the, yeah. the through line is how is is how personal that yeah, can exactly. be. And I think for, for me personally, from a career standpoint, uh, you know, I, I realized that I didn't, I loved being a designer. I didn't necessarily want to be a manager of designers or an executive in a design world. And that connectivity to the, I hate to say it, like the physicality almost of being able to develop product may be very different now, um, fast fashion and all of that. Um, but, but you know, what really attracted me to, to healthcare was just this idea that um, ultimately, and, and some of the first products I worked on were for patients with something like COPD, mm. um, which is a progressive disease, which um, can, well, is 
terminal. Um, you know, there is not a cure for it. And, you know, some of the initial par- products I worked on were helping people to breathe so they could go in public, mm-hmm. right? To be able to walk around the block, to be able to sleep, to be able to, um, you know, and so applying a lot of those product development principles in a context where you're actually changing the quality of someone's life in a pretty dramatic way yeah. is amazing. And, you know, certainly in this world of, I'll call it health tech, which is specifically where I've been focused for the last 15 years, Mm -hmm. is the ability to not only do that at scale, but to do it very, very quickly, Mm. right? In a way that most of us think about either, if you think about the development cycle for pharmaceuticals or for medical devices, understandably, right, those tend to be, you build a product and it takes you seven years to get it to market. Mm -hmm. In health technology, you have the opportunity and the ability to do that very quickly, um, in a way that can be very responsive to the times that we're in right now. Um, and I would say there's there's uh, something to that. It's certainly today, as we get into a, a place where people not only have mental health needs, but we have, a, a, um, I would say, socioeconomic challenge and crisis on our hands that people are dealing with regularly. And it's helpful to be able to respond to it. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing from you is it's not even just in the out the output or the outcome or the product or the service, but it's in the speed itself of getting yeah. that to people where the is where the value lies, right? And so um, that seems to motivate you really quickly. Um, ironic, however, you did come from, you know, a focus on textiles and apparel, and yet you just announced a, a brand collaboration with Cotopaxi, if I'm yeah. hopefully not mispronouncing that, but I know that brand actually from, from shopping it myself. But isn't that interesting? So here you are today, you know, um, having just done a brand collab with them. So because it's just so of the moment and it's apparel and textiles, talk a little bit about that. It's so of the moment. And, um, you know, I'll call it actually two collaborations that we've done within the last month. Um, one with Cotopaxi, which uh, incredible brand, mm-hmm. very aligned with um, a lot of the work that we do to make sure that people are um, taking moments for themselves and mm-hmm. in particular outside, Right. Where, um, you know, Jenny, let's be honest, you and I are staring at each other on a screen right now. And that's what we tend to to all do. Many of us who are in our line of work for, you know, seven, eight hours a day. And just that reminder to be able to get out and take care of yourself mentally, not just physically in that way is really important. Um, So so Cotopaxi has been just an incredible brand collaboration for us. Uh, We also um, have partnered with a company called Pangaea, which really focuses on sustainable manufacturing of textiles and apparel. just an incredible ethos and philosophy behind their brand in a time where we know that a lot of people face uh, climate anxiety Mm. Um, and with a lot of just the issues, whether it's, um, you know, straight up uh, climate change, whether it's wildfires, whether it's, you know, people are feeling that today and to be able to um, attach ourselves alongside a brand that really sees that for what it is and wants to make a difference in the world in terms of how we consume on that front um, felt like a great opportunity for us to be aligned. But yes, the uh, the uh, the irony maybe I would say is not lost on me that they are two great apparels brands and um, love to see those the past and the present collide. 
A hundred percent, but it's your expertise coming, bringing, you're bringing your expertise to bear and why not? You know what I mean? It's, it's such a cool mashup and I'll, I'll use that word um, frivolously because I know it's so much more than that. And what I think is so fascinating about collaborations with other brands is, you know, you're truly borrowing their equity and vice versa, but you have to be as a marketer, really be able to spin that story in a meaningful, and I, it's an overused term, but authentic way. I would use the word real. Like if it's not real, if there's nothing like truly factual about, um, you know, about a collaboration like that, then you're not going to do it. So, um, uh, any last points about that? Because you, you you have to look beyond, and the fact that you talked about mental health is as much, or getting outside is as much about mental health as it is about physical. There's a nuance and a depth to that, and connecting dots so that you can yeah. go to the market with with that story. Talk yeah. just briefly about that because that is a special skill that I think marketers have to be very cognizant of these days, especially. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the the authenticity of both your own brand and the brand that you attach. Um, you know, and align closely with it is is incredibly important. And in our case, I would say uh, we are fortunate to have a brand that folks really identify with and love. And we we are inundated <laughs> with many opportunities to partner with brands, and we have to be mm, also selective. I bet you are about how we do that, right? Um, how how do we make sure that we're um, both being authentic? aspirational is, I think, a part of this without being, while still being relevant, right? It's a hard time to think about being aspirational right now. Um, And um, I do think the right kinds of brand partnerships can allow you to be authentically aspirational, even if the aspiration is, for example, getting outside for five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day to just breathe, you know, fresh air, whatever that means to you. Um, And so I think, you know, to your point, you know, there's so much opportunity in these types of brand collaborations um, for both brands to be able to express the the values and the culture of each of those respective brands. And, you know, it takes care. Uh, We have to be take care to make sure that we do the ones that I think are going to be do right by our members and and be authentic in a way um, that ultimately is going to create some long term value for us. Your website is the front door of your business. But the way teams build and optimize is broken, stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome code-dependent solutions. There's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Experience a CMS where you can build dynamic content without code. Native localization that lets you translate your site in one click to reach global audiences. And third-party apps and integrations so you can build faster. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. I love that you say you ha- it's as much about the ones you, don't, you say no to. Um, and, and I just think that that's so key. I mean, you know, anything, anything we do as marketers, I think it's, it's being very intentional about certainly the why, and that leads to the yes and the no. And so, um, you know, that's a challenge. It's quick, quick plug, but we have a brand new event launching in December in LA called Adweek X. And that's where we're going to go deep on the literal intersections that we see um, occurring in the marketing, advertising brand space um, with other entities, other makers, creators, thinkers, doers, um, because, and brand collaborations is one piece of that because there's there's so much value in the one plus one equals three concept. And I just think if we can Absolutely. unpack that and really kind of get to the to the root of 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 those types of things that we're seeing more and more of, 
um, there's huge takeaway, I think, for everybody involved. Um, so super excited for that. Um, let's talk a little bit about you now. Um, you know, as we all know, marketers are, and I'm going to call you a marketer. I know you're president now, your title's president. And by the way, we're seeing a lot more of that, right? We're seeing, I think we're seeing a lot more of CMOs, heads of marketing moving into GM, president, CEO roles. Um, I've been kind of keeping tabs on that. I have a running list. And, you know, what do you think um, is advantageous about, um, you know, moving people who used to be in the in the C-level marketing role into those more general management roles at companies, um, especially when they can bring with them that marketing expertise? Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, once a marketer, always a yeah, marketer. Sure. So I'll, I'll put it that way. I will consider myself always a heart at my heart, a marketer. Um, a couple of things for um, for companies themselves. I think it's the ability for, um, especially in the times that we're in right now, where everyone's really budget conscious. There's a lot of uncertainty coming into the future of being able to balance what I'll call survival and thriving aspects of your organization, meaning a lot of companies have to work to be profitable, um, to make sure that they're creating not just top line, but bottom line value. And at the same time, you have to be willing to make those bets. You have to be able to create those opportunities for for you to be able to create a category or build your category in a way that may not create the near-term value that that bottom line thinking requires. So that, that's what I think that the beauty is of having um, folks with marketing backgrounds in these types of roles is that you're automatically forced to kind of think in that way that is helpful for the company, both long-term and mm. short-term. Um, for marketers themselves, you know, I, I, I do think that uh, marketers have gotten a little bit of a bad rap <laughs> <laughs> over the last, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's been uh, for, forever and infinite, uh, but I would say in particular over the last three years of maybe not being in touch with the uh, with the economic realities of the situations that companies that need to be performing in this time is. And it does force marketers, I do think, also to reckon with the reality of the world that we live in today. You are not going to have an unlimited advertising budget. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to make super hard choices around where you invest in people, where you invest in programs. Um, and uh, and I think that level of discipline as marketers, as much as we can instill it in ourselves, I think is going to be go- both great for companies, but also for ourselves in terms of, uh, of building that skill set on the whole. It's so interesting because I'm. It's, it's so obvious. I can't believe I haven't thought about it like this before, but you're right. I mean, listen, the, the knock on marketing and marketers is that they've historically been the cost center, not an investment, right? And then over the over time, and I would argue it even goes back to 2000, 2008 and the rise of procurement, and we start to see, you know, all these cost control mechanisms put into place and you know, this concept of doing less with more or doing more with less, um, it's really not new. And to your point, I mean, it's been kind of around now for a good 10, 15, if not more years. And so suddenly marketers are the ones who are the savvy, agile, creative. And I mean, creative, not in just like, like visible advertising, but creative in all the ways that that word can be defined, you know, looking right. for solutions where they aren't blatantly obvious, right? Like having to find new models, having to find new mechanisms. Suddenly they become the ones who are the ones who should be leading companies because they're bringing that mindset built in. Um, how, yep. how are you doing that? So tell us, a, you know, an example of, you know, 
because a lot of what we try to get into in, in the Marketing Vanguard podcast is is literally, if you think about it, every every day, every hour of every day for you is is literally making decisions. You know, you're faced with choice and it's, it's forks in the road. How are you basically taking that mindset and making smart choices? Um, and is there one you can point to recently that you, you're like, that was the wise move because here's yeah. what it yielded for us? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, a couple of things. Um, the more I think we as leaders, and particular for marketing leaders, can empower teams to know what the goals are and be able to function with empowerment and decision-making, one, that helps me. Yeah, <laughs> no, I have 100%. to make all of those every little decision, but also um, provides teams with a level of ownership around the outcome and everything that you do to, to get there, whether it be channel mix, um, whether it be which are the, th- you know, of the five campaign options that we have, what are the two that you are going to advocate for and invest in versus, you know, a CMO or even a VP of marketing having to go and, and tell you what will work and l- let really people own the outcomes mm. of that. Um, it is so important in that time, in, in particular, because communication is such a challenge where we're not, you know, in our case, walking past each other in the hallway or like waving someone down between meetings. Um, you have to be that much more explicit about, uh, both the the goals that you have in place as well as well as the principles of how you're going to get there, mm. so that we can move relatively quickly in an empowered way. Um, and, and that's not just a marketing principle, right? I think across the board from a general management skill set is something that I've really had to focus in on um, to to make sure that we can, you know, kind of get to the outcomes that we need to. Um, to be honest, we're we're going through this right now. You know, I think everyone's going through annual planning right now. We're all being faced with what reality looks like in 2024. And the level of uncertainty that's there. And certainly I can go in and say, here's the number, here's how you're going to organize against it. But the reality of it is really our leaders and even our individual contributors should really be getting to that solution for us yeah. and being able to own both the plan that they've put into place, as well as all of those pivots that we know are going to be in place yes. and that we are going to have to take throughout the year um, and do that in an empowered way. Listen, I- so true. And everybody's feeling like that right now. Um, you know, um, I listen, everybody's going through, it's a really rough time. I know your company had layoffs in July. Um, talk a little bit about how you navigate for the future amid such challenges, because it, it affects internal, right? It affects the internal culture. It affects, you know, your go to market. So talk a little bit about that as a president. How are you sort of managing the internal and external, even as you guide the company forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a, a lot of this comes down certainly to identifying what you can control and what you can. <laughs> so let's start there. What can you control? Um, you know, even just doing a simple high level SWAT as a leadership team and knowing what you can control and what you have to recognize might come down the line that you don't have control over, I think itself is a really useful exercise That's a great, yeah. um, to, to go through. Um, and then when you look at the things that are within your control, Um, So much of this comes down to your values orientation of how you get the work done and um, aligning how we get the work done and that work against the strategic priorities, excuse me, of the company. Um, And for a company like ours, that can be very complex because not only are we a technology company, we are also a company that sells into multiple audiences. You know, we have three primary channels that we go through, direct to consumers 
to employers directly to health plans, very different audiences, mm-hmm. very different go to market motions. Um, and, uh, and then we employ about half of our workforce, our care providers, right? So they're coaches, they're therapists, they're psychiatrists, they're folks that are providing care, they're our frontline workers. And the complexity of that entire operation at one requires folks to um, really be able to understand what are the levers that we can control in terms of, you know, what uh, what target audiences do we go after? Um, how much fungibility do we want in our product um, to be able to allow us to um, open up the market as widely as possible? How far do we want to go? Pricing is a big one. I know for a lot of folks right now, which I would say um, is uh, what I would advise everyone to do is to not look at that as a financial practice, but it is really, you know, uh, ensuring that you can get what you're worth <laughs> in the market. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly I think a, a lot of, I think companies that will struggle struggle are ones that are looking at just a cost plus pricing model right now. So all of the, those things, you know, in concert, I think uh, really looking deeply at the pieces that you can control on pricing on how you position within the market um, and tying those back to like how you're going to get the work done as an organization, which might require you to, make some really hard decisions yeah, around programs that you might have to cup. Um, I would, you know, some of the things that I, I work with on the team is I'm pretty transparent about where we're spending, where we've gotten return from our investment, where we haven't. Yep. Um, and there may be reasons that we haven't gotten a return on investment yet. And that's okay. As long as we have a path forward and a way to be able to see how we, we turn that into an ROI positive investment within some time frame, but we have to actually say that out loud. Mm. Um, so that, um, you know, they are hard conversations. It is a hard time to plan right now, but I also think it's a great time to be able to empower teams as what they think about having control over their own destiny. I love that. I just think that empowerment piece is huge and coming with solutions, you know, coming with solutions, not questions. Like, I mean, being able to say to your organization, what do you think? You know what I mean? Yeah. And bringing that. Um, are you optimistic about next year? And, and certainly on the, you know, the health and wellness front and mental health uh, front, where do you feel like, you know, you are most um, passionate about, about having inroads? Yeah. Um, so for uh, as a whole, it's personally and for the folks at our company and around the world, it's a really tough time. Yeah. Um, and so we can't underestimate the level of personal toll that mm-hmm. um that folks are feeling right now from things in that the global environment in, that in we're the global, all living yeah with. yeah and, i mean we have an election coming i think we've sure. all seen how, how disruptive that that can be to uh not just folks attention but discourse both internally and externally from companies it is it is quite difficult so you know you know b- barring that piece of that i would say for the mental health category as a whole all signs point to this continuing to be a massive need, both by consumers. Um, I do think that consumers will be challenged on spending in the coming year and companies have to think really carefully. I think what we have, what gives me optimism, I would say for our business, our ability to be helpful is that there are, um, you know, uh, health plans and employers in the world that are willing to subsidize that cost for folks within their base in a way that uh, makes our proposition a little bit easier and one that is actually much more accessible to people around the world in a way that maybe wasn't the case about five years mm. ago. So uh, hopefully what, what, what where we'll land in 2024 and 25 is um, a world that um, is really seeing, which all signs point to today, 
the value of mental health and mental health care as it relates to happiness, productivity, satisfaction, and quality of life. Um, and I do, I feel strongly that in particular, employers and plans will continue to make that investment because they know it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. And there's a huge education play for you all. I mean, you, just so much of what you do, I'm sure, is actually educating groups yeah. about how, about the power of this and of, of the power of what you you do and provide, yeah. um, which I'm sure is, is a lot of your effort as well. Um you know, just as, as you go forward into next year, you know, who will be your biggest inside the company? You talked about external collaborations. Who is your biggest partner? You know, who do you, who will you be working most closely with and why? And how have some of those internal dynamics as a leader changed for you um, in this climate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the three folks I think about um, are one, my finance business partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think of a marketer today, if you're not, um, connected at the hip to whether it's your CFO or your finance business partner, you're probably not in deep enough. Um, so that's uh, really important to make sure that there are no surprises, that we are really working in lockstep with one another in um, in a way that, you know, hopefully results in positive outcomes. Um, I think the second in particular for us is um, our connection into our our product and experience leadership teams. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I think we're blessed with and very fortunate with um, at Headspace is to have just an absolutely world-class team when it comes to not just building a product that people need, but building a really scalable, incredible product offering that is responsive to the multiple stakeholders that we have. Mm-hmm. And those needs of those stakeholders are changing very regularly. Um, and so staying in lockstep with those teams that are developing the product and thinking about how we adjust or lean into certain things over time where we may divest, I think is quite important. Uh, and then, you know, um, maybe I would say more broadly, I think just making sure that our board of directors is is yeah. brought along for the ride, you know, really is a team effort. And while some might describe a board as a external team, they really are, I think, t- to some degree, need to be part of your internal team when it comes to strategic decision making, uh, uh, advice and guidance that they can provide on what they're seeing with either portfolio companies or within the world. Um, and certainly, as we've gone through the journey of you know planning for the next few years of growth for ourselves, they've been a really great set of guides um, and advocates for us along the way. Yeah, I love that. The expertise, bringing that in. Um, really, Christine, this is just, we could go on and on. There's so much here, but I, I love how um, you've been able to weave and touch on, you know, business imperatives, but staying true to why you exist, right? And really serving the people, the humans who, who you know, who need your service, who need your platform now more than ever. Um, you know, and then as, as, you, um, as you think about it, you know, if we're sitting here a year from now, what would you hope to have my your, your story to me be? Is it, you know what what do you hope to have accomplished? You know what do you feel like will be um, a and a true success for you, but for your community, obviously, because that's yeah. where it comes from. Absolutely, um, this is a great question. In a year's time. Uh, one, there may be two, two things. <laughs> uh, there's one for the category as a whole, which I genuinely hope, and this is not just for Headspace, for anybody who competes and, and sort of fulfills the need within this category, is that there's truly a resource for everybody when it mm-hmm. comes to mental health needs, whether it comes from us yeah. or someone else, right? Um, yeah. There are a lot of companies out 
there right now that are trying to solve problems of access, problems of equity, problems of quality of care. And I do think that we all owe it really to, um, like, you know, as global citizens, the ability to, for folks to be able to have that access in a way that is actually not possible, right? Um, and so next year, my hope is, you know, we can, as an industry, double the, the number of people, right, who have access to mm-hmm. um, the solution, kinds of solutions that we can provide. And as part of that, I hope that Headspace will continue to be seen as, you know, the leader in mental health. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly from a brand perspective, we have been known as a meditation and mindfulness brand, which has yeah. been a bedrock of what we do and is so important in terms of skill building, prevention, ongoing management. And that transition, I believe, that we're making right now with the swath of services that we have, with the experiences that we can provide to folks and, and being seen as that leader, not just in terms of our, our B2B and corporate buyers, but also with um, with uh, consumers at large. I'm really excited mm-hmm. for that future for us and hope to, for us to be having that conversation in, in 12 months. Okay, well, we'll have to circle back and do that then, for sure. Yeah, uh, last good question. Who's next? Because I just feel like with this with this podcast, what we try to do is, you know, shine the light on new people, new leaders, new decision makers. And it can be a CEO, it can be a CMO, it can be somebody you admire from afar or somebody you know really, really well. Um, you know, who should we interview next for Marketing Vanguard? Laura Jones at Instacart. Oh, I love uh, Laura. Yeah, I haven't interviewed Laura's... her yet, but I would love to get her. Perfect. Well, hopefully you get the opportunity. I just love, um, I think, the journey that they've been through, certainly as a company that's just gone public. I'm sure there's a lot of, of learning and, and interest there. And uh, what a fascinating company um, in terms of the times that we're now and Laura's. Incredible. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing with us some of your pearls of wisdom and your insights and your perspective. And I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon, Christine. So thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Jenny. Take care. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.